0: I'm Laura Marsh, a field biologist and avid conservationist. I know firsthand that finding wildlife work is tough. You're often underpaid, undervalued, and burnt out. These are the stories and interviews from people just like you to help find solutions to the systemic problems in our industry and bring more equity and justice to the rich diversity of life on our planet. We are shaking up the world of conservation through NOVA Conversations. Right. Welcome back. We are talking with Meredith Heather today. Meredith is a bird friend of mine from a few years back. And we, uh, well, the beginning is just our story, her story and her history and her experience. But towards the middle end, we really get into the meat of the conversation about all the complicated layers of what it means to pay to work or pay to volunteer, what type of experiences are unacceptable which are more acceptable and how nuanced this problem is i've been thinking about this for months and i don't have answers um you know set straightforward answers but i hope that by sharing these conversations we'll be able to together as a wildlife community work towards creative solutions and in this episode i mentioned our review database at novaconservation.com, and it's still up i've put a link in the show notes However, it has not progressed as much as I would have liked due to the the lack of funds, of course. So um, just know that. And if you want to support us, please go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Nova Conservation. We are still working to raise funds for a better review database um, and possibly through nonprofit means and grants and things like that. But time will tell. I'm just looking forward to your thoughts and your input for solutions to this problem, creative ways that we can diversify conservation and pay to work problems and schemes and all that crap, but while also supporting organizations that do good and give back. That's our goal. But anyway, here is my conversation with Meredith Heather. Meredith, welcome. Welcome so much to Nova Conversations podcast. I am honored to have you on and talk to you. And I know you from way back, not way back, but I still remember <laughs> when we first met. Okay. I'm going to tell this story because yes, I love this
1: story. <laughs> it was at, do you want to tell it? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Cause I know yeah, what else. So we were in Chattanooga. When was that? 2018. Yeah, it was 2018, summer 2018. Yeah. And I had come up for the um, AFO WOS meeting. So that's the Association of Field Ornithology and Wilson's Ornithological Society joint meeting. And I was desperate to get a cerulean warbler (laughs) because I had not seen one yet. And I was looking at the range maps and saw that there was potential for it to be in the area. So that was my target bird for that trip among a few others. But um, so I ran into you in the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) The first night and you randomly asked me, have you seen any ceruleans around? And I was like, you have no idea how much <laughs> I'm trying to find one. And I had done some birding earlier that day. And I was like, no, I didn't hear or see any. And
0: yeah, I and I had no asking, I had no clue that you were after this bird. I just was like, this is a yeah. random person. I'm just meeting her. Have randomly, have you seen any ceruleans?
1: Because I was about to or I had just studied yeah. one. So go ahead. Yeah, my face was just like, you've got to be joking. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think you were just asking to see if they were around um, just for your own curiosity because you mm-hmm. were from the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you told me about this study that you were working on and you were going to go over and meet um, the guy you were working with and do some, try to catch some and ban some and ask if I wanted to go. And I said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> even though I've never met you before. <laughs> And I was like there with my lab and we ended up ditching part of the conference and going with you and your family and we camped the night before <laughs> and sat with you and Eli, your son. So, yeah, and then we caught and banded Cerulean warblers the next day and it was a magical trip. Even my boss still loves to tell that story. <laughs> <I'm> really?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, just meeting someone in the bathroom. It's like, okay, we're both at this conference. We know, you know, I, I'm I'm trusting you. I hope you're not a weird creep person or whatever. And I'm sure you probably felt the same, like, okay, you have to have some level of trust and well, okay, we both are bird nerds. Like that ultimately is just kind of, I don't know, it just dissolves any awkwardness or whatever because you're like, we're after the same things. Instant Saro. bonding. <laughs> yeah, instant bonding. And yeah, you came out with us. It was um me and Richard Borthwick, the uh, at the time, the PI of the project from Alabama AM. And I had just worked with them maybe the year prior, and we were just doing a follow-up. Um, we were catching ceruleans to do blood um, sampling. And then um Daniel Gwynn, who was the field tech on that project too. And that was, that was so fun that yeah, we did. We, and it almost didn't happen, right? Like it almost was like, we couldn't figure out where we were going to stay. And there weren't any campsites that last minute. We just like threw it together. And I was getting really stressed because I was like, I really want to do this, but it's not going to happen. And then a campsite magically appeared on one of our websites or whatever we were looking at. We booked it and we were like, Okay, this is happening. And we went that day. It was, we drove to North Carolina, like uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it was raining. And I remember thinking, this is <laughs> yeah. like, we're camping in the rain. Where did you end up? Do we end up sleeping in a tent? It was you, me, and Eli.
1: Yeah. And okay. then Danny slept in the car. Danny <laughs> slept in the car.
0: <laughs> and we had a Tesla, and we still have a Tesla, but it was like, you couldn't find charging. The charging didn't work. Something was off with the charging. It's not, you know, yeah. there's always another layer of complicatedness, but yeah, we made it happen. We, we did that. And
1: then then I went to Asheville after I'm on only time there. And I like fell in love with the area.
0: Yeah. Asheville is beautiful. Yeah. The whole park. I mean, we live in such a pretty area of the country Anyway, and there's so many little places to explore. But that morning, let's see, we met them in the morning, and I remember thinking, we're probably not going to catch one. Like, she's going to be so disappointed all this way for nothing, (laughs) all this stress for nothing. And it was on the side of the road, on the side of the Blue Ridge Parkway with this beautiful view. And first, we weren't catching them, but then we kind of did we end up catching it up the side of the slope or like kind of away? It was
1: on the other side. That one eventually came down. We yeah. did try up the slope, but couldn't get him to come down. So it was on yeah. the other side of
0: the road. That's that's right. Like right on the side of the road, which is just crazy to yeah. me. And I also remember seeing a Blackburnian and a like mm-hmm. this bright, you know, those vibrant Blackburnian warblers and those spring yes. chasing around a cerulean and just thinking, like, obviously, they're not playing, but, oh, that's so great. And then I was like, wait, no, that's competition. And trying to get out of each other's territory. And I think I remember when we were doing the Cerulean playback, because a lot of times the Blackburnian sounds very similar. So I think there was just some overlap. Mm-hmm. And they were like, get out of my territory. But it was so cool. These two bright, bright birds. like Some of the most coveted birds that you see in the East during migration, Blackburnian warbler and Cerulean warbler. And they're just, like, chasing each other. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this it's is magical
1: happened. i remember it like it was yesterday <laughs>
0: yeah and the picture you took i use that for almost all of my nova conservation yeah. on the website all over the place so um thank you again for that I, so sometimes the, it has for like a- taking me a stranger <laughs>
1: <laughs> an awesome opportunity <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah thank you so much that,
1: here we are still
0: friends <laughs> I know I know I know later. Well, yes and we have some um catching up to do so I wanted to ask you I mean that might be your favorite field story
1: I don't know but do you have like another <laughs> field story that stands out or yes yeah, so I've been trying to think of a good one to share um I have a pretty bad memory um <laughs> so and if I get embarrassed, it like doesn't last very long. So I was trying to think of like a funny, embarrassing field story, but I just can't think of any. So that's good. That means like, you, if you get embarrassed and it
0: doesn't last that long, it's like yeah, you're, you're like, oh okay, I can move on from that.
1: Also, most of the time, anything dumb happens. I'm like by myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> the birds are all laughing, but yeah. But so one of the stories that stands out in my head is in the Amazon, and I was working there with mixed species flock. Um Probably just one of, like, the craziest experiences I've had. Um, so out there, like, a lot of weird stuff happens just because it's, like, the Amazon in, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I would sometimes just, like, hear random things. Um, so I would go out by myself usually every morning in the dark, um, to get to the root site of these mixed species flocks. And I would follow them around till the rest of my team would come meet me out there to do the experimental trial. So I was waiting for them to show up. And then I heard them say, hey, behind me, and I turned around, and no one was there. And they didn't show up for like another probably 40 minutes. (laughs) What? that was one of the weirdest things is like I would frequently hear stuff like that where I was like oh they're like right behind me and like no one's there especially when it was raining it would often sound like children like singing in the distance <laughs> just the way that the sound travels surely um surely it's yeah. not <laughs> it's really yeah <laughs> there are a lot of like legends about things out there but um so this one time I was down in the this valley and i was done for the day so i was trying to find my way out and we use handheld gps units and a compass and before this trip i'm like not great with directions um this definitely helped me (laughs) learn a lot about navigating so at this point i was like fine with getting around on my own um so I i would put the pin up on the trail and it would tell me like the compass bearing to go so I was doing that realizing that it was taking me in circles and I was like well this is not good <laughs> so either the compass or the gps was wrong and I think it was the gps it was just like something was going on where it would consistently change the bearing that it was telling me to go and I'd walk five feet and it would just change drastically and tell me to go the other way and I was like I'm walking in circles I'm never going to get out of here
0: where it could have I- been the earth was broken
1: yeah, yeah. So I started getting magnetic
0: stuff going on.
1: I wasn't gonna make it out. And then luckily, my teammates came within radio range, and I was like, "Hey guys, I am trapped down here. I can't get out." And so they shouted from the trail, and I was able to hear them and just follow their shouts. Luckily, but like if they hadn't come by, I probably would have eventually gotten out if I just walked one direction. But it probably would have taken a long time.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. So so you really you think it was um one of your like an equipment malfunction? Because yeah. I have heard weird stuff happen like with sometimes honestly the earth has like polar weird polar magnetic I mean I'm thinking of yeah
1: it could have been for sure because I mean that's the only time it happened and it was kind of down in a valley so it was a weird area anyway it just like felt weird you know
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah that there are some there are some days where you just get the heebie jeebies I remember one time when I was doing the umbrella bird stuff and I just was like okay I feel like something is watching me yes has that happened to you often Oh yeah yeah that does did anything ever come of that? Like, no,
1: no. I mean, I'm sure there was some big cat around, but yeah, on this same trip in the Amazon, um, the previous time I went, so I went a couple times and on this project, we were working in groups of three. So I was with my other two teammates and we were out following the same flocks around. And at one point we just all looked at each other and were like, Does anyone else feel like we're being followed? And we all had the same feeling for a while that we were like being followed by something. And then we took a few more steps and found this crushed capybara skull, which like only jaguars, I think, can crush skulls like that. And we were just like, yeah, we're going to get out of (laughs) here. Oh, that was pretty weird though, that we were all feeling the same vibe.
0: Yes. I've heard it's like a, yeah, like a sixth sense of, like you can feel when someone's watching you or when you're being because yeah, that's oh that's so creepy. I'm glad you got out of there.
1: <laughs> I mean I do want to see a jaguar, but you know, I'd rather not <laughs> rather be safe too. <laughs> yeah, not
0: when it's attacking your face. <laughs> yeah. Uh that's very interesting. Um, well, thank you for that story that I I'm sure you have tons more, and I, I, there. Part of me wanted to like start a podcast just talking about field stories, and not just like out in the field, but also like who you're living with, mm-hmm. the, the strange personalities that you meet sometimes when you're yeah. stuck in a house. With, I can go on and on. <laughs> I know the the psychology behind that. You're just thrown into a a, a house with random strangers for a few months and you have to make it work and like it would make a really funny reality show
1: it would I mean there's been times where I've been in a room with six other girls like that was my living situation
0: interesting yeah how did that go
1: (laughs) not my favorite but uh (laughs) better than I expected I guess we were all pretty respectful of each other
0: that's that's good that that, because that could go downhill pretty quickly because yeah Especially when girls are just like not self-aware and, and I hate to say it, like young, a lot of times younger. Yeah. Cause I am
1: older than most of the people that I work with.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now and what that path looked like. Um, I know you were in environmental consulting for a while and then you went back to school oh. and, but pri- right, prior to consulting, you were working in the rainforest. Yes, it's um,
1: it kind of intermixed. So oh. I actually started my undergrad doing accounting. Oh, <laughs> then didn't know that. Hated it, obviously. <laughs> but I just didn't really know what the opportunities were. Like, I knew that I liked the outdoors and animals, but I was never exposed to any of it for career wise. So I had no idea. And then I would like tell people I wanted to be a dolphin trainer and they would just laugh at me <laughs> and I was like okay I guess it's not a real job (laughs) but in my freshman year of undergrad my family went to the San Diego Zoo and I talked with the the woman who worked with the cheetahs and I loved big cats as well and so after talking to her I was like you know what this is a real job I can do this Um, I went home and I switched majors to wildlife biology and best decision of my life (laughs) so that finally got me in the right classes that I found to be enjoyable and then introduced Mm -hmm. me to the a lot more. I just thought I would work at a zoo at some point, but then after learning about all the other like field biology jobs you can do and working in conservation and in, with habitats, and um, it really opened my eyes to a lot more opportunities. So ditched the zoo route, still wanted to work with big cats, um, did a volunteer project in Africa working with rehab animals, and they, they had big cats there. Um, okay, but how long w- you go ahead? Well, I don't want
0: to interrupt your story, so I want to. But I want to come back to how that rehab volunteer experience was. So we'll come back to that.
1: Yeah. So after my ornithology class, I started birding as a hobby. Mm-hmm. So I got really into it, and then I just kind of fell in love with birds, and mm-hmm. eventually went that route. But first, I still like didn't know anything about career opportunities working with birds or big cats. So. Right. I struggled to find a job after college. It took about a year to find a job and I ended up doing an environmental consulting for an engineering firm, which was fine. Um, you know, the pay is probably the best you're going to get in this field. Yeah. But it wasn't where my heart was. It was more of like the field work part was fun, um but you're basically just permitting so the engineers can go do some work like build pipelines and dams. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Right. So, I volunteered for the, the first time in the Amazon and did that project and it was working with birds. And then that moment was kind of my real switch over to what wanting to do the avian ecology route. Right. So I came home from that. Um, it was very hard So I was out in the jungle for three months and then coming back to, you know, doing consulting work. <laughs> just <laughs> devastated <laughs> to be having to do that. So I eventually kept looking for more opportunities and... Did a volunteer opportunity for another organization, which I ended up leaving consulting to go work for mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And then I left that one after just certain circumstances, <laughs> you know, a really terrible boss. So then I started doing the seasonal work um, with focusing mainly on birds while also trying to get into a grad school program. Right. But jumping around the seasonal work was really fun. And I got to go to a lot of cool places and meet some nice people and then just really figure out where my interests were. Um, So then when I went to grad school, I was prepared. So that's where I am now, Um, working full time as an avian ecologist at a biological research station and getting my master's. Very busy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So grad school is hard and challenging and all the things. Yeah, I am ready
1: to be done. (laughs) When do you finish? Um, Hopefully, I plan on defending in November. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'm done with all my data collection. I just need to start analyzing it. (laughs) It's so overwhelming. It really is. Yeah. So I have a long way to go. Do most of the writing and analyzing. So the fun
0: part begins. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) the worst part. (laughs) No, the fun part is definitely being in the field and collecting all that data. The not fun part is Uh, I mean, to sit at the computer and freaking do all that.
1: Yeah. I didn't even have that much fun in the field this time because it was just it, I started right when COVID hit doing my data collection. So it was just like a nightmare trying to figure out my methods basically by myself because, you know, I was so isolated. You, know, you couldn't meet with your advisors anymore. <laughs> oh, geez. Everything down. So I don't know. I guess I figured it out and just did what I did. So it's going to have to be good enough.
0: <laughs> How did you manip- manipulate it but overcome that?
1: Um, I don't know if I did. <laughs> just I cried a lot in the field
0: um, yeah.
1: on a daily basis almost because it was just like the pressure of that on top of everything else like, yeah and on uncertainty and you know there were threats that the station would be shut down if somebody got COVID and I was like I'm not moving out of here like I'll hide in the woods and finish my field work <laughs> oh <laughs> I didn't want to be sent back a year for school so luckily that didn't happen and everyone stayed really safe here because of those tight restrictions but it did probably take me until like late in the fall or maybe even early this year to like look back and be okay with it it was a rough time having to like transition to online classes and then just like trying to navigate everything on my own but looking back I realized how much I did accomplish through all of that and on my own and it really helped me grow as a person and realize that I can do things independently like that so like now it's okay I do wish I had had more guidance <laughs> but yeah I survived <laughs> Jeez.
0: Yeah, that's that's insanely difficult. Yeah, this year this, this, yeah, was hard. because
1: then you know I don't want to bug my advisors too much either, because they're also trying to navigate COVID with their family. Oh, so it's you know sucks, <laughs> sucks all around.
0: <laughs> you just yeah, you're like physically alone and mentally and emotionally alone because yeah, oh, that's really hard. That's a hard time to do anything, much less a collaborative research project? Yeah, well,
1: we were trying to also, because here I also help oversee the interns. So we had... four interns. And then we're trying to transition how we do everything to an online system. We're no longer allowed to like go inside the labs anymore. So we had to figure out how to make all of the data collection, like on these shared documents and have little interaction with each other. Um, oh, geez, that set me back even further um, to start my own trying to figure out everything here as well. But I was lucky I had two great roommates and helped me get through it. <laughs> I bet you guys bonded really closely. Yeah. yeah. The trying time. So you,
0: you literally started this, had these two random roommates, essentially. I mean, you're all kind of. Um, I knew them from previous. You knew them from what now? From my previous years here at Archibald. Okay. Oh, okay. And then you're just like, oh, well, I guess we're going to quarantine together and you're going to be my life support right now. Yep.
1: (laughs) Jeez. That's crazy. Sorry. I came home crying almost every day, but.
0: (laughs) Oh, I, yeah, I feel that too. Like that You just want to cry every day. I mean, I had to like essentially be a homeschool mom for a few months, right when I started Nova Conservation, right when I had a new baby. Right. And even like, I remember telling Danny, my husband, like, okay, I'm only going to have this baby if, if we're only going to have a second child, if we can throw him in daycare. I didn't know if it was a boy or girl, but that's the agreement. Like I'm going to do my thing. And then of course, <laughs> the baby's like four months old and corn COVID hits. And I'm like, well, this is just what you got to do. No more daycare. <laughs> no more daycare. Cool. I'm a homeschool mom. Yeah. Like, I just don't like that life. It, yeah
1: how old is Eli?
0: It's like four or five. Eli is about to turn six. Oh wow. In August and Cade is 19 months. Yeah so he'll turn two in November. Uh, Yeah that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah yeah so all that to say I mean I I really miss the field and I I love building something of my own, and I love having this to work on. And I love my kids. Don't get me wrong, I love my no, kids. Course. But as as anyone has, they're like, I just wish things were a little different, just a little. But we're getting yeah,
1: there. Yeah. What well, do you? Nova's doing really well, and you're growing, and you have a staff now. Well, I don't really have a staff. Like, okay, I have a team. People that work for you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we, yeah. Uh, they. I pay them. I pay one person very minimally. And then I have a few volunteers Yeah. and I even just sent an email. Like, I kid you not, like I'm like over here saying, I want, we need to pay our workers better. And I just sent an email to them that was like, listen, if you feel like you can't volunteer, don't want to volunteer for Nova. Like, I understand. I don't want to coerce you into anything. I appreciate you taking your time to do this. I mean, I am not making a salary right now and I... And struggling with the fact that like, I thought by now I should be, or, but this, it, it really is the way of the industry. It's just, I don't want to charge people who are, who don't have any money either. And then the good nonprofits doing work, I don't want to charge them because they're struggling too. So yeah. I mean, eventually I have a few ways that I'm trying to make money, but it's just, um, it hasn't manifested yet. So it will come. It will come. I'm, I'm sure of it, but I'm also kind of like scared of making money in the sense of like, I don't want to be seen as a hypocrite, you Uh know, we're trying to call out like these organizations who bring in all this cash and then the money goes to the CEO's pockets. I don't know. Like that's a tricky balance to figure out. I mean, I'd be okay with I, I need some salary. I need yes. to. I need some salary in order to help these organizations that I'm helping in order to help exactly. the conservationists, in order to change the, the industry, in order to fix oppression and oppressive systems and do yes. that best work. But I also don't want to like take a huge salary and be like, da, 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 you know, and I know in my heart of hearts that this is, I, I wouldn't do that, but it still is like this fear that people judge are going to judge you for it.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't worry about, I, I mean, I understand the worry for sure, but (laughs) well, it's hard to make money for making
0: change. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'm setting myself up as this ethical watchdog kind of, Mm -hmm. right. So we want to be an organization that holds these other organizations to higher standards. So therefore I have to be above reproach. I have to be like, and if I take, I feel like if I take anything more than like 30,000 a year, eventually it's like, nope, it all goes back to conservation. But in reality, you have to make a living and you have to yeah. feed
1: yourself and your you family. You have to live, you have two kids to take care of, and you're just trying to make a better place for them as well. Yeah. And I'm just also aware of the privilege that
0: I have that I can work for free. Anyway, so there's all these complicated factors, that. uh, uh, so, so you're working full time and trying to analyze the data and write and finish up your grad.
1: So I didn't start full time until I was done with my classes. So until then I was just working part-time. But we had some people leave the positions here. Um so I kind of had to step up and take over as well. So
0: that doesn't seem like a common thing, um, because usually when people get a job, say as an avian biologist or any kind of biologist really, they stay in it. So it yeah. leaves little, very yeah. little room for moving up. So do you think that is um how should I word this question? Like, do you think it's typical that after you get a a degree, a graduate degree at a program, you're going to work for that agency or that institution
1: or that place? I think so, at least for a little bit. It's a good stepping stone. Like, I don't want to be here forever. That's just based on the location. I'm very remote, central Florida, and it's not (laughs) my ideal place to be. I'm tired of the heat and humidity. So, I'm ready to move, and they know that, Um, but it is nice to have that kind of fallback job opportunity to last me until I can find something that I'm more interested in doing that gets me out of Florida. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think I, I do see that quite a bit where, you know, people will finish their master's and then just kind of ease into that transitionary position for a little bit to gain the experience and help build up their resume a little bit before they move on.
0: So you personally, what do you want to do? Where do you want to end up? Dream job scenario? I mean, yeah. A minute here.
1: <laughs> do. I personally like the nonprofit route. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people I work with really like the federal route, but for some reason, I I like the nonprofit. I like the kind of more relaxed nature, and I know that I won't ever get paid as much, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think the work is more along the lines of what I find to be. Interesting. And fun. So, I definitely want to stick with birds and in conservation. And I'm really interested in how they utilize habitat, like mm-hmm. mig- migration, stopover, all of that. So, working in habitat conservation and kind of keeping these habitat corridors along the migratory routes safe. National Audubon would probably be my ideal job for now. Or <laughs> working for Cornell Lab Ornithology or something. Hmm. Um, we'll see again there's just so many opportunities out there that I haven't really started looking yet yeah. <laughs> you know, hopefully yeah. this fall when I kind of slow down on my thesis I'll start looking for what's out there
0: yeah and so okay so you said there are so many opportunities out there do you feel like it's easy to find a job because of there are so many opportunities <laughs> or is it what do you mean by that can you elaborate on that
1: no I guess that is kind of a, <laughs> a double-edged sword I feel like there are a lot of opportunities, but there's also so many of us trying to get them that it, it is a saturated deal um, and a lot of them are not paid well. So there may be a lot of opportunities, but if you don't pay, no one's going to want to do that job. So um, I don't know. I do know a lot of people that are struggling to find work. In this field, and I still I don't know. It is kind of hard because like I do feel like there are opportunities, but that's just because birds are all over the world. Sure, sure. So there are you can go anywhere to to do them, but it is still a highly competitive field. It is hard to find jobs. Like for the internship program here where I work, um, we get probably between seventy and one hundred applicants a year, and we only take four. Wow. And I know that that's pretty common around a lot of other places. Is this internship paid or unpaid? It's paid. Excellent. Glad to hear that. My organization is working to increase the pay. We're trying to be competitive. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not and always, yeah. It's not always easy to find the money to give increase of salary. Yes. And
0: again, I mean, it's just because conservation provides no tangible product or service and we live in a exactly. capitalistic society and there's, there, there's no value that Bird research holds to the general public and the general yeah. population.
1: So most of our funds come from grants or donations.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's very are, unstable. <laughs> yes, unstable and super competitive because yeah. all the other nonprofits are competing for grants and donations too. So, how do you foresee getting more funds to conservation? Ooh, that's
1: that's the hard. question of the century, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it really starts at the base. So, education, um, teaching people about conservation and the importance of it. But, I mean, I think that science overall is doing a pretty good job of that. The people just aren't listening. Mm-hmm. We have all of the information and we're trying to get it out, but whether or not they're going to listen is the hard part. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we need a, a change from youth. So this next generation, if we teach them about it early and then it's going to take a long time for any changes, I think, to truly happen.
0: Yeah, and we don't have time. We don't have the luxury we don't have that time. <laughs> yeah. So, OK, let me ask you this. You and I are about the same age. And I feel like when we grew up, we were taught kind of like a little bit about climate change, more global warming and recycling and do your part. And the polar bears are dying and et cetera, et cetera. So we're like, okay, this is something important. This is something I'm going to give my life to and my passion to. And then I almost feel like, I don't know if you feel like this, but kind of like, like duped because it's so important. And we were pushed recycle and do these things to help the planet. And then now here we are At the age where we can have careers in it and we're like established and have experience levels, and where, and I just don't see where the jobs are because while people say it's important, they're not putting where their money, their money where their mouth is, and therefore the jobs aren't there. So there's all these people of around our age trying to find work, over competitive, over saturated. Like, what, what gives? You know, is this, is it just me or is it?
1: I feel duped. Do you feel yeah. a little bit duped about that? I don't know. Yeah. To, I don't know. Do I thing. kind of grew up not really being taught much about really global warming or like we were, I mean, my family recycled and stuff, but I don't think it was really ingrained in me to consider the planet yeah. <laughs> a whole lot. Um, that wasn't until I started taking classes in college where I really started to understand it and then I took a climate change ecology class in my master's program, which really changed a lot. I learned so much. And now I I try to do everything I can. I like make my own toothpaste and use the bar shampoo. And I'm like trying to make those small changes, which isn't a lot, but it makes me feel better. And then I try to encourage my friends to do the same and stop letting balloons go and stop throwing glitter in the lights for graduation. You know. It's little things but uh, yeah I don't know I feel like it is going to be a constant struggle because it seems like the youth these days are more aware Mm -hmm. of the climate crisis and there aren't going to be any jobs for them we can't even find jobs with master's degrees right yeah and that's kind of yeah that's kind of you have to get a master's if you want a job also like I was only doing seasonal jobs which is why I Decided to go back to school was because I wanted to be more competitive for a permanent position.
0: Right. And
1: it's like, I'm not going to make any money, but here I am, like spending more money to go to school.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. The catch 22. Yeah. Uh, Well, okay. So you volunteered at some places in the Amazon and you were, you specifically wanted um, experience. Is that accurate? You wanted experience to, to, build up your resume, yes. and you also volunteered in Africa somewhere, mm-hmm. and so he does. Tell me about that. Was it worth it? Did it, did it build up your resume? Did you have to pay for those experiences? Do you feel like the pay was fair, if so, or um, did you feel exploited at all? Um,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, for the volunteer thing in the, in Africa. Um, what country? That you was, what what country were you in? I was in Namibia. Okay. Um, so ultimately for me it was all worth it because I did do some amazing things and I got to go to some really cool places and it did you know help me figure out kind of the direction for my life that I wanted to go in but right I mean I am lucky enough to have been able to afford to go over there mm-hmm on paid. So for the volunteer one in Africa it was pay for your stay basically and then you are working a lot <laughs> um like taking care of the animals there okay but it was really cool cuz i got to like be, be hands on with a lot of you know african wildlife that i would never have had the opportunity to interact with like that and mm-hmm. i think overall the organization you know is there for the benefit of the wildlife like they're taking in these orphaned animals and then if able to release them again they do release them and they do have um, a huge area of their own property that's fenced in to protect the animals that they do release as, okay. much as they can yeah so i think ultimately they're there for the right reasons but it is also kind of you know shitty to have to pay to go work there you know mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they do feed us and stuff, but like, yeah, you're paying to work. Yeah. So that was maybe it's geared toward people that aren't looking to do this as a career, but more of just they want to go have a fun vacation kind of, but also like work on vacation and get to to see these animals.
0: Right. I, I'm going to interject here because I feel like that is the, a good differentiation of where we need to go in this uh-huh. Industry is like, yeah, if you are, if you're trying to get skills to advance your career, that's one thing. Yeah. If you're just trying to go, cause you, out of the bottom of your heart, you just love to volunteer and you want to work with these yeah. animals, you'll probably be able to pay a higher fee and just give back to the organization because it's just something you're passionate about. And you just want to volunteer and see, a, have a cool experience mm-hmm. working with animals that most people don't get to have, but that expectation then is a little different. You're not gonna probably be working. You shouldn't be working as much. It should be more catered. I don't know. I don't know where where yeah. how to market. It shouldn't that. be
1: like the workers or the volunteers' responsibility to take care of your facility.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like people will. Okay. So, like, um, I was talking to someone else about this. How woofing works. I didn't realize it, but there are some people who pay to stay in this fancy place. And then there are other volunteers that just live on the place and then they work. So whether you can pay and stay or whether you can't, can't pay and you stay, you have to work. So it's kind of evens out. Um, People who can't afford it will get X experience and they don't have to work as much, but then the people who can't afford it will work more, but get a reduced Mm -hmm. cost or something like that. So, or no cost ideally. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting model um, that I'm, I want to explore. So, so, but you did feel like it was, you worked, you worked more than you felt like you should have given the fact that you paid. Is that accurate?
1: Yes. Yeah. For, yeah. For that one. And maybe I did go in with different expectations because I was young and I did just want to, you know, see Africa. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, But yeah, for the one in the Amazon, that was one where I paid to get there and then everything was covered once I was there okay which it ended up being you know one of the most amazing experiences of my life and it changed my entire direction of life so it was incredible and I still miss it every day and I think about it every day but it is not Mm -hmm. fair for you know ecologists as a career to even have that as an option to have to like pay to get there and then not get paid to work. And we were working like 12 hour days, sometimes six days a week. Mm. And you're in harsh environments. Um, I mainly did that one to see if I could handle it <laughs> and to to know if field biology was the direction I want to go. So I went a little bit extreme where I was like, I'll take three months off from my job in which they graciously allowed me to do. Go mm. do this awesome thing. Um, see if I can handle it. And if so, I'll come back and reconsider my trajectory in life. So it did what I wanted it to do and it did change my life. But I, I feel like ecology is the only field that has that kind of work for free to get experience and or pay you so little, but we provide housing. So you should be grateful. Kind of
0: thing. Yeah. Well, okay, let me ask you this because I, I, I hear both, definitely I hear a lot of things going on because you're not, well, first of all, the work you did in this Amazon trip, was it, did you need to have a certain set of skills to do it? Like they only took people who were skilled at this.
1: Um, I think you needed to have at least, probably not a whole lot. Like they definitely did have some people that had more banding experience because they just needed that, but I didn't have much experience going into it. I liked birds and I had some experience working with birds, but I don't think they were like, they didn't require too much okay. experience.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm trying to weigh the, and playing devil's advocate, totally. Uh-huh. I'm trying to weigh like, if it doesn't require experience, um, I almost would prefer to see like local, what country were you in, in the Amazon? In Peru. In Peru. Like local Peruvians doing this work for free. Oh, we did,
1: we had half of our crew were local.
0: Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's so tricky because I'm like, I know I don't want you to go and work your tail off and then not get paid. But there are opportunities in the United States to do field work. And if you like where you're, where you are locally Uh to get said experience. So it's almost like when you go to a place like the Amazon, kind of not a touristy location, but like
1: different because it's different to us. Somewhere I'm never going to be able to go on my own. So it was still a cheap way for me to go yeah, to but the Amazon. <laughs> yes. It's it's a cheap way to get to the place,
0: but if they're forcing you to work, forcing, if you're if you're expected to work full time while you're there, yeah, you shouldn't have to pay ever.
1: But it's also the fact that you know the grant funding for this project isn't enough to pay people. So uh-huh it's kind of like (laughs) you you got this funding to do an amazing project so you want to go do it right but you can't afford to pay people to help you um oh so they needed yours and like the next time i went for the same um person it was all expenses paid so you know the connections i made were good down the line so they okay so what you're saying is that the first project
0: they got a grant you had to pay for your way to get there. They couldn't pay you to help. And you you were expected to you you essentially had a field position, like you mm-hmm. a tech position. Okay, that's a different story. I guess I was thinking like, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't listening well. Um, because this is so tricky. I didn't
1: explain it well. It's not balance, because cause yeah, it, you know, I am working there pretty hard, but it's great experience to build my resume. But and it's not his fault that he couldn't pay us. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, did you apply for this position? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You should definitely be getting paid. If they expect you to work for three months, I. I it was my misunderstanding. If if they say you're going to start here, they set the parameters, they set the work schedule, they set how much you're going to be doing, you apply, uh-huh. that's a job. That's, yeah. yeah that's a job that I
1: paid to get to. Yeah, that's a job you paid to get to. Yeah. Wow. And there's numerous opportunities out there like this that I see up on job boards, like all the, so there's a lot in Australia and it just sucks because like all the really awesome looking gigs don't pay you. They're all volunteer. They're like, we have this awesome job over in this really cool country that is hard to get to unless you're working. So pay us to come get this awesome experience. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course we want to do that. So people will pay that. Yep. To go do this cool job in that cool place. So as long as people keep paying, nothing's going to change.
0: Yeah, and and it it almost incentivizes the organizations even more to just keep yeah. well, if I can oh, get a I free free
1: labor like uh-huh. let's
0: keep <laughs> Uh-huh. Ooh, so yeah. many layers. I, I I think and I was talking to um it was Olivia um Days. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name right, but um from career outdoors and and she was saying we have to market it's about marketing we have to market to the right people because if you're starting this career and you want to build your career resume to have to pay for an experience automatically excludes people of different oh, economic wow. groups all these different marginalized groups it's 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 a hot mess um so i've i fully agree that this is it's, it's unacceptable and needs to be changed. So how do we market to people? And I, I'm taking like, I am a demographic of someone that would pay to spend a week in Australia, possibly yeah. helping on a project. And yeah, I'd work and yeah, I'd volunteer, but I'd also give back to that organization. I'd give to the fund, like the, um, like the project and donate but I'm not looking to necessarily build my career. I'm not looking to necessarily stay there for three months cause I can't cause I have two kids okay. and um, work X amount of hours. There are people who want to do these things and who are willing to pay to have these experiences and that's who we're trying to target. And that's who we're trying to get the, the that's who can pay it to get the money to offset the cost of the, especially those early in our careers. So that it doesn't, the burden doesn't fall on them. Especially of uh, marginalized groups who can't even break, have a chance to break into the industry because you have to volunteer. Um,
1: yeah, there's no way I could have done half the things I've done without the support of my family and like knowing that I had that security blanket.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh,
1: and I understand that, and I see that in most jobs I go to that are low paying. Like you, you can only attract a certain type of person can afford to be underpaid
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: it's something that my current organization is is really focusing on and like we're really trying to restructure our programs to be more inclusive
0: that's awesome
1: can you say the
0: name of your current organization because i we've been not not naming names but it sounds like you're
1: where you are right now is doing it right or at least- um, yeah, I'm at Archibald Biological Station in yeah. Central Florida. This is where I'm doing my thesis research. I've been here since 2018 as an intern. And since I've been here, they have worked to improve the housing for interns and they have increased the stipend. Good. That's awesome. We are still working on it. It's going to take a long time to make all the appropriate changes and to be able to attract the diverse kind of people that we want to help.
0: But I think that's the key is you're, you guys are working on it and you guys are making the necessary changes and are aware of these issues that are inherent in the industry. And, and on that continuum of growth, if we just bash organizations, cause they're not where we think they should be, that doesn't allow for any growth. Yeah. So yeah, that goes back to like my, um, our review database where hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be, um, in our next iteration, hopefully even maybe a third iteration up from where we are currently, but it's going to have these scale systems of rating and reviewing um, organizations, how they're protecting wildlife and conservation efforts, of course, but also how they're treating their employees, interns, volunteers. Are they paying fair wages? Are they, if they're in a different, um, if they're work in a foresty area or they're owned or operated by someone who's not in natively from that country? Are they helping the local community? Are they helping indigenous populations? How are they giving back? So yeah, it's just a continuum of growth. And um, we're, we want to lift up those organizations that are really trying to improve and trying to do the best work and promote them and their work and mm-hmm. say, the money should go here, not to, not to this. <laughs> over there. Yeah. Well, um, I want to be respectful of your time and um I we're already almost at an hour of just
1: chatting and I love I love chatting. I'm fine. Time. I don't really have much. I mean I have work, but I can do it later. Okay. <laughs> well, well what I'm else? Not I'm not worried about it. Okay.
0: Um what else do you want to share? Um is there anything that we didn't talk about that you were like, oh, I want to make sure I talk about that? Because I think this has been a really rich conversation and it just goes to show the complexities and the nuances of like, I had assumed when you were working in the Amazon in Peru that you, I don't like, it was like a Namibia situation where you were like, oh, I just want to go and see animals and therefore, but you applied and you like the, the parameters of the job were set out. Yes, you should get paid. So it, it like all of these different factors,
1: uh, it's so complicated, so complicated. It is. And it is a struggle. I mean, I don't know how to change the system as a whole. And it does seem like some organizations are doing a good job of trying to increase their pay to increase their inclusion. Um, but it's hard when you rely on grants and donations, like if you have a bad year, you can't even hire the people that you want to you can't run your program the same. You miss.
0: Yeah, yeah. What organizations do you see that you think are doing a good job that you want to shout out really quick?
1: Um, I just saw one the other day, Point Blue Conservation Science in California, which is one of my favorites yeah. uh, for them in 2017. I had a great experience. I love everybody there. Um, but I just saw that they're posting for their internship program. They raised their money a lot. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, I went from making them not the best stipend there, uh, but they do provide housing and now they're like paying a very competitive rate. So, I was very impressed and proud of them. (laughs) That's awesome. But I think a lot of their funding, you know, is grant based and donor based. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: they can only do that if they're getting that money envelope. So, I'm glad to see that they are. Mm -hmm. I think they do really important work.
0: Mm -hmm. I just keep going back to like, it sounds so cheesy, but we do live in an abundant universe. Like, there is enough money out there floating around by people who are very very wealthy and if they just knew about it or knew about how to give to these organizations or knew about these issues that we're having and that young people are struggling with and people who are so passionate and and just want to do everything to give back to the planet and are at the very cusp of their careers and if they get into the industry and then they suffer burnout and they leave the career and just to work a capitalistic desk job or whatever, like yeah. there are people out there who will give to conservation. They just kind of need to be asked and and found in the right
1: way. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is the hard part is reaching the right people. <laughs>
0: yep, that's what we're working on. Mm-hmm. My mind spins like all the time thinking about stuff like this. So, uh, <laughs> it's really good to, ch- to have another where I don't just think about it in my head, but have um, another <laughs> voice and be like, okay, uh, yes, Laura, you're not crazy. I said, You're not
1: because also, so it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. Right. And a lot of these intern programs or like low paid tech jobs are geared toward those fresh out of undergrad. Right, so They can like build that experience and, you know, they're still covered under their parents' health insurance, probably don't have too many bills, like maybe student loans, which is a big one.
0: Yeah.
1: But being older and coming into these low paid internships, um, because it took me so long to figure out what I wanted to do, I was kind of struggling because I had, you know, health insurance, car insurance, phone yeah. bills, like I had real bills to pay in my Stipends often don't cover it. So that was hard. I mean, I left out being able to get a tuition waiver for grad school. So and then I got some scholarships and and things to financially support me now. And now I'm working full time. So I'm I'm doing Mm -hmm. fine. But before that, yeah, it was hard.
0: Yeah. And then the organization I don't
1: want to be in my late twenties, like as an intern working with kids fresh out of college. And that was hard. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And you're like, yeah. As an organization even after
1: doing like an internship, you still can't get a job. So you have to do several internships that are competitive and they want you to have experience beforehand. Uh huh. Kind of like if you want experience, you need to hire a tech position. This is no longer an internship. And that's a problem that I've found a lot throughout as well.
0: Yes, I fully agree with that. Yeah, you definitely, if you need someone who is experienced, you have to pay them. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> it just boggles my mind, but they can get away with it. They can get away with it. And we're not letting, we're not letting them get away with it anymore. <laughs> We're holding them accountable. That's yeah. that's the goal. All right. Well, um, I actually have to go pee because I drank a whole cup of okay. coffee. So, um, but I feel like it's probably a good time to <laughs> to wrap up. And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna just say I really appreciate. I like. I want to talk to you for another hour and just kind of yeah. sort d- through all this stuff.
1: Um, I mean, if there's ever if you look back through this and you want to edit anything or like talk about talk more about something you can always just let me know we can hop on zoom real quick
0: again yeah and well all the organizations that meredith mentioned we can drop it in the show notes too so you can go find out about them and maybe even apply for one of those good paying internships at point blue or um archibald or things like that so yeah this has been um this has been so good it's so good to see your face it's good to see you too (laughs) (laughs) see you live and um I love, I love following your career and seeing what you're, what you're doing. And I you too. To I'm too i really that. proud of
1: you and everything that you're accomplishing with Nova.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Tell so.
1: All my friends about it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. That's really sweet. I appreciate it. Yeah. We just want to serve and mm-hmm. like, I'm in, I'm still in the trenches with underpaid people because I'm underpaid too. So <laughs> I get that. You're fine. Yeah, okay. But yeah, this it's an emotionally exhausting um, problem to tackle. So yeah. even right now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna <laughs> get off this call and, and just decompress a bit. But um yeah, it's it's really good to see you. Thank you sure. for your time. Thanks for sharing your stories and yeah. really digging into how we can make this industry better. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: it was good to see you. Hopefully I can come up for a visit sometime. Yeah, or I could come down. Yeah, good time. <laughs> I suggest the fall because right now it's miserably hot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I might have to plan something in like October, November. Yeah. That'd be good. Cool. Well, good to see you, Meredith. Okay. You too. Thanks, Laura. Bye. Dang. That was such a good conversation. I hope it inspired you as much as it inspired me to see different sides to the problems and find different solutions. It's so easy to bash organizations and to just call out something on social media and that's not a tangible solution. We're all trying to do better for the planet and we're all trying to work together. So it takes all of us. And our database review is on pause at this time of this release. So we're really focusing on finding ways to raise money for conservation through trips and expeditions. So how can you help? You can share this episode, you can rate and review it and leave comments. That would be amazing. And you can, if you have the means to give to our Patreon, please, do so it would mean so much that you support us and just let me know in the comments or on social media do you agree with these pay-to-work schemes do you think there are better solutions out there to be had let me know and i look forward to hearing from you talk to you soon bye thanks for listening and remember ethical conservation needs and deserves funds so that passionate people like you can get paid what they're worth there's enough money to go around Let's go get it and use it for the good of our planet.